Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Kyle Farmer to talk about immigration and labor reform in agriculture. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I appreciate the invitation and an opportunity to talk about labor reform in agriculture. This is uh, where I live my life, so it's, it's great. Yeah, this has been a fun topic to at least read about and keep on tabs with just because it's it's becoming very real in animal agriculture. Uh, yeah. We're finding a lot of really great candidates internationally and domestically, but there's just not enough of them. So I'd like for you to just talk a little bit about, before we get into the topic, your background, how you got involved in agriculture, and what you do today. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, it, I got involved originally after law school uh, when I was unable to find another job. I went and started to help my father-in-law because he has a construction company in Iowa that builds livestock confinements for uh, mainly hog producers, but actually really a lot of hog producers, dairymen, uh, and turkey barns, chicken barns, you name it. They, they build all of it. Uh, so we got involved in that in the first place, and I was filing his applications just while I was looking for another job. And uh, at, at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I had clients or I had other people that came up to me asking for help. And then more people started asking for help with international recruitment. So we built out an international recruitment network. Uh, so we've got a bunch of people that are constantly helping us recruit uh, folks internationally. Uh, and, and those are all in-house. And so basically at this point, we're matching employers with employees and figuring out how to get them over here to, to meet these labor demands. Uh, and there's, you know, there's the nice thing about agriculture is there is there are available options for people. And there's some industries where the available options are not great. You know, like the trucking, for example, a lot of times whenever you're dealing with trucking, you're looking at a multi-year process to get someone here. Uh, agriculture benefits from certain immigration regulations like the H2A regulations the and then the, the TN regulations in particular that help these folks bring in labor that they need. Uh, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't fill the, the entire void. Uh, and so one thing that you've seen, and we, we can kind of go into this more and more. I'm sure this is something that, that you want to talk about, but, uh, one thing that we've seen is a push from a legislative perspective for years now, uh, to try to include some, livestock producers uh, and and livestock growers that don't have a seasonal need for workers uh, into actually being able to participate in things like the H2A program on a year-round basis. And so we, we've seen more, more of a push for it, uh, but I have some heavy criticisms for 
the bills that have been introduced that I think most people don't share with me. But I think that the reality is, is that that's because they don't actually understand the implications of the bill. They can read the text and they can read, oh, look, maybe we have some sort of benefit, but then they don't realize what they're trading in return. Yeah, and we're definitely going to be getting into that, too. Uh, to kick things off, what is the current status for ag or pork producers, if you can get that specific, on on labor? Is it getting worse, better? Yeah, you know, it's, it's getting more expensive. Uh, the access to labor is getting harder. Even international recruitment is getting much more competitive than it has been historically. Uh, and you're, especially so for pork producers, one of the primary visas that they utilize is a visa that's called a TN visa, which was created by NAFTA, it was carried over into USMCA, and is for certain designated professionals. And so the applicant pool and the applicable jobs uh, are limited that can be filled by those roles. And so that's that's one you know shortcoming. And then obviously the access to domestic labor, just like for everyone else, has become significantly more competitive. And when, I guess, when you look at that labor right now, it is it is extremely difficult because the the talent pools you're getting in are, like you said, more competitive than ever before. The person hiring a candidate in Ohio is competing for the same candidate as somebody hiring in Wyoming. That's right. And they might even be competing with somebody hiring in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. How is how has that changed the game? You know that it, it's funny because. Whenever we first started recruiting internationally, there were more than enough people to go around. And so uh, one thing that this has led to is pork producers competing with each other on the same people, uh, which wasn't a thing really several years ago. It just it just wasn't a thing. There's plenty of people that and, and there still there still are a lot of people that want to come over here and they want to work. But uh, your your large pork producers in particular will be. Uh, competing with one another. And so they're offering different benefits to each other, you know, that, okay, well, we'll provide housing. Well, we'll provide housing for this amount of time. Uh, we'll pay you this wage rate. We have these benefits, all those sorts of things. And the candidates really take a good look at those things. Uh, you know, and one thing that I think is really interesting is, and this is a hard thing for pork producers, is uh, a lot of times one of the reservations that they have is providing housing, uh, but whenever you think about it from the immigrant's perspective of, well, where am I going to live? Providing housing at this point is a complete necessity, especially to begin with, because I, I've seen people that are willing to take a job for less money with the assurance that housing is available, because for them, it's scary. You know, I, yeah, absolutely. I'm in my home country and I don't know where I'm going to live. Uh, that's a heck of a lot scarier than I'm going to be paid 50 cents less or a dollar less an hour. Uh, but at least I know where I'm living. That'd be terrifying going to Mexico and just like hoping when you get there, you find a place to rent. Yeah, like, no, it would be terrifying going to Mexico, period. I'm not going to Mexico. Uh-uh. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I can't imagine them coming to America and just like not knowing where they're going to live. Yeah, especially in, you know, the middle of nowhere in Iowa or in uh, Nebraska or South Dakota or Michigan or Ohio or Indiana. Like, you you know, you're, you get on get on Google and... Good luck finding housing in those rural areas. Which and it's, not crazy, it's not crazy to think that somebody right now is in Mexico. They're expecting to come to the U.S. for a job here really, really soon. And they're looking at the Weather Channel and saying, it's what? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
like, and no. I don't have a house. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anywhere to live, and it is negative fifteen degrees right now in Iowa. Absolutely not. Uh, but then, if it makes them feel any better, they can look at the weather here in Texas, and they're like, "Damn, it's cold everywhere." Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, the the housing thing has become another complication. Is since COVID, there like there has been a, a significant housing shortage in these rural areas. And that's made it harder for everyone. It's made it harder for the producers themselves. And so they're having to come up with unique solutions to housing issues. And it's made it harder for uh, the actual laborers, too. So that's another another issue for sure. So it sounds like housing is one way where employers can attract labor and yeah. really set themselves apart. I mean, I've even seen and heard of, heard of individuals and in other companies talk about what housing situations other workers that they know various channels have um because some of these producers are getting very creative on creating really cool living situations with theaters and all this stuff <laughs> what are some other things that producers can do to really attract people and set themselves apart right now you know it the, it's the same thing as what you would do as a if you were recruiting domestic domestically you have to prioritize the things that matter to the people that you are bringing in and uh you know one thing that people from Mexico really care about is they are very community driven. And so I love whenever producers do this and there are, you know, obviously there's like some biosecurity things that you have to be concerned with whenever you're having community housing, but uh, whenever you can help assure the person of them coming into a community where they actually fit in, uh, it does matter to them. And, you know, living with people that, you know, they speak Spanish, uh, they, they can, uh, go to church together, you know, those sorts of things. Like they actually matter to people. And yeah. so just, just like you would here, just prioritize the things that, uh, matter to the individuals, not only on a dollar basis, but more on a, on a soft basis. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. So when we look at reforming the system in itself, what's wrong with the system? Well, so the, the big issue that pork producers face is they don't have a seasonal or they don't have a, a year round visa that they can use to pull uh, unskilled, uneducated uh, labor, which there is a huge supply of that in Mexico. And so it would be very, very beneficial if we could. Uh, and so that's the one thing that people are trying to attack legislatively. The problem that they keep running into is they are doing it blind. They're like, I want this one thing, and I don't care what I sacrifice to get it. Mm. But what I keep seeing over and over, and uh, Senator Bennett had just introduced a bill uh, called the Affordable and Secure Food Act. Uh, he introduced it for uh, – he was working with Senator Crapo out of Idaho on the bill to begin with. Senator Crapo pulled his support – of the bill because they couldn't come to terms with an agreement. Uh, and then Senator Bennett introduced it into uh, the Senate trying to get into the omnibus bill. Uh, it failed because it had no Republican support. Uh, but whenever I was reading that bill, it was basically this, it was very, very similar to the Farm Workforce Modernization Act of 2019, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act of 2021. And uh, th there's some provisions in there that are particularly terrible. Uh, and they're they're awful, awful for Midwest agriculture in particular. This is a, it's they're friendly bills for West Coast agriculture. Uh, but why is that? 
Because they have large amnesty provisions. Uh, now, Senator Bennett's not going to call it an, an amnesty provision. Uh, and, you know, to his credit, at least they're at least they're looking at it. And I don't think that they're doing these things maliciously. I think that they just don't understand the full uh, the full scope of what they're getting into here. Uh, but so they, they have some large amnesty provisions. The West Coast has access to a lot of undocumented labor that has been here for years and years uh, that would really benefit from the amnesty provisions. And they have a lot of year round agriculture. And so they're. It, it's helpful for them uh, for, for those reasons because they, you know, that for the, the way that the pork producers approach uh, year-round labor is similar to how the West Coast producers, uh, uh, n- not livestock producers, West Coast, you know, like fruit and vegetable producers, yep. they the way that they approach amnesty, like they are tunnel visioned on amnesty. Uh, now Bennett's not calling it amnesty. He's like, oh, no, it's a certified ag worker program. Well, okay, you can get a green card after four years in it, and then it leads to naturalization whenever you have a green card. So it it, it is an amnesty bill. Uh, but for the livestock producers, there's a lot of really bad stuff in there. Uh, it, it makes them extremely vulnerable to litigation from the smallest complaint from their from their staff or from their uh, employers or employees, sorry. Uh, it makes them very, very vulnerable to litigation that's publicly funded. And I can tell you litigation gets extremely expensive, extremely fast. And so when you incentivize people to litigate, it is not good. Uh, it, it also mandates E-Verify for agricultural producers, which a lot of large farmers use E-Verify already. A lot of small farmers don't. And it is a huge burden on them to follow E-Verify. And that would mandate that agriculture be the only sector in the United States with mandatory E-Verify. That's just completely unfair. Oh. Uh, the, the other thing, th- this happened whenever you have an amnesty bill. This happened in 1986. Uh, I think it was 1986 under the SAWS program. What happened was there was, uh, there was a large amnesty bill for agriculture uh, agricultural employees. And then what happens is these people will get their green cards. And then once they get their green cards, they flee agriculture. They go, I'm not working anymore in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. If I want to live in Iowa, I'm going to go do construction in Des Moines because they can work for anyone. And so after only four years, you, you, you would start seeing a flight from agriculture from these people that you've had for, for decades. They're doing an internship program to get whatever you want from a citizen citizenship. That's right. Same point. That's right. Well, and so then there's another thing, and this has been the case, and pork producers don't appreciate this enough yet because they don't understand the disruption that would happen in the entire pork production vertical, is that in all of these bills, there's a specific provision that would exclude construction and extraction occupations from the H-2A program. And so what would happen is if this bill got passed is people couldn't bring in H-2A workers to do construction on their own farm. Well, I guess they could on their own farm, potentially. So assume, like basic maintenance? It, like the construction of the livestock okay. confinement uh, yeah. or maintenance, remodels, repairs, which we saw a ton of after the, the, the Prop 12 stuff. Um, and so what would end up happening is they would have, let's say that they have a, a livestock confinement that they want to build or remodel. Well, the only people 
that would be available for that would be a very finite number of undocumented folks. Uh, it would be a finite number of unionized folks that want to be willing to go out into those rural areas. Uh, and so they want to be able to find the labor to actually build or remodel their livestock confinements. Uh, and now the, the huge issue here is that would keep you as a pork producer from not being able to continue to expand, remodel. Uh, this would have this would make it to where the grain companies want to be able to build grain bins on their farms. This would cause the uh, s- the suppliers of equipment of you know like slat manufacturers. It would make it to where they don't have anywhere to put in their products, and so you would be disrupting everything from the production of equipment to the construction of a livestock confinement or remodeling of that confinement to the actual production of livestock. And it disrupts the entire vertical. And right now, they keep putting this bill, this this provision in these bills because there's not enough pushback from it. And so one thing I would encourage livestock producers to do is if they see that in a bill, it should just be a complete non-starter on the bill. I'm not going to have any support for any bill that excludes construction and extraction occupations from the H2A program because it would disrupt my entire livestock production vertical. And so it, that that's one thing that people really, really need to start paying attention to. And right now what they see is they say, oh, I've got 16,000, I think is what it was. So the, the way that these bills have been written is they've had a certain number of fi- uh, uh, year-round visas. So 26,000 was the most recent one. And the Farm Workforce Modernization Acts, both of them had 20,000, 10,000 of them are specifically allocated to the dairy industry, which means they're fighting over only six, 10 to 16,000 uh, year-round visas. Well, the void for that type of labor is in the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So you're weird. looking at it. It's not doing anything. You're, you're just going to be fighting with each other over and filing very expensive applications to not get people year after year after year. And I also found this particularly convenient that for, so you could get, you could technically get um, a green card on the most recent bill, the affordable and secure food act from Senator Bennett after only four years on uh, certified ag worker status. And so long as you had been employed in agriculture for the last 10 years, of course, their methods of verifying that are not robust at all. Basically, you sign an affidavit saying, yeah, no, I, yeah, sure, I was employed in agriculture. No. Uh, and so after four years, and then, but then their, their press release said, well, our, our research shows after five years, the year-round visas would cover all the void, or all the existing void. First of all, their, proje- their projections of the number of visas that would actually be needed on a year-round basis are unbelievably low. And so that's it's already wrong to begin with. But I did think it's kind of peculiar. Peculiar. Uh, can't talk. I, I, thought it was kind of odd. Uh, I thought it was kind of odd that after only four years when you could get your green card and we would start seeing that flight from agriculture after five years is when they were relying on all those year-round spots being filled. So what you would actually have is a void growing through five years, and then it would just fall off a cliff at that point. So to uh, push on that, let's say that's the reality we have to live in. Yeah. Let's just play here. Let's say it's the reality we have to live in. What do you think producers would have to do 
to help that or make that from not happening? So I, I think that to avoid that from happening, let, let's play it out two ways. Yeah. The first way, let's pretend it happened. Let's pretend yeah. this bill got passed. What would livestock producers do? They would yep. start producing livestock in other countries because they're not going to have the access to the labor here. And so what happens whenever you start producing meat and food in other countries? You become reliable on those other countries. You can't feed your own people. This is a huge national security issue uh, that people are just not paying attention to. Uh, so that would be what would happen if it actually passed. Over the long term, you could see the the exporting of livestock production into countries like Mexico, uh, where they could import it, but then now we're relying on Mexico to feed our own people. Do, do uh, you think you could create an environment where individuals would make it a career as opposed to hopping out of agriculture? Like, do, do you? No. It's just because no. of the pay discrepancy between other industries and, and what agriculture can afford because of the existing economic situations? Yeah, so that's certainly part of it. Uh, part of it is the, the fact that farmers can't control their own prices and that it is a globally competitive market. And so we're the largest exporter of agricultural commodities in the world, and it's not even close. But that would quickly change whenever we have to. The, the United States, we are uniquely good at making processes and efficient, uh, efficient processes profitable because it's driven by competition. Uh, well, now we're going to some other country. And so, yeah, and, and we and we'd have to because the labor issue would be so bad. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is people don't want these jobs. Uh, it's I, I think it's asinine to pretend that it is glamorous work when they could go be doing construction in Des Moines. They could work from nine to four or five every day, not go work when it's super cold outside. They could just be at home every single night with their family. They don't get dirty. Uh, these are hard jobs. Uh, these are hard jobs that we have to have people fill. And so th- the way that you do that is you by, by bringing in people that are actually appreciative for the work, uh, the people that actually want to do this job. But if, you, if, they, if that's their only avenue to get to the United States to perform this work, they're more than happy to do it. But if you also told them, by the way, whenever you get here, after a few years, if you want to, you can just go do construction uh, in Austin, Texas. See ya. They're not going to live in negative 15 degree weather when they can come to Texas and live in 15 degree weather, because that's what we're dealing with today. (laughs) No, that's fair. Um, Why do you think the situation around bills is not more bipartisan. Do you think that it truly is because the bills themselves are shit or do you think it's because of party lines not working together? Uh, no, I think it's the bills themselves are shitty. They, uh, like, so with the farm workforce modernization act, it passed the house on a bipartisan basis. It was blocked by the Senate. Thank God. Because they couldn't, it, it would have been filibustered. They they couldn't get uh, the Republican support to do it. But it, that this is also an issue that you have a lot of times with immigration more broadly. Is your incentive structures are completely different, and your priorities are completely different, and they and they directly conflict. Mm-hmm. And so, and we actually even see this within agriculture within the United States. 
you can't, it, it's very hard to pass an immigration uh, bill, even specifically for agriculture, because the incentives of, say, West Coast producers don't align with the incentives of East Coast producers yeah. or the incentives with Midwest producers. And sometimes the incentives of the West Coast producers and the incentives of the East Coast pro- producers would directly conflict. And so you have one group, uh, and it's not even, it's not even, I won't even say necessarily Republican, Democrat. I would say it is based more off of geography. Uh, yeah, which would make sense, though, because when you look yeah. at the coast, you got Democrat. And when you look at the Midwest, it's highly Republican. So it makes yeah. sense that Midwest ag and Californian ag are fighting over a bill where neither can get along and it just happens to look like a party line conflict. Yes. Yeah. Which is, yes. That, and that's definitely true. That's definitely true. But, but whatever you, I guess the, the thing that you could use to separate that is you would look at, okay, well, who actually aligned with this on the West coast uh, or what you would call a West coast producer. And you had Dan Newhouse out of uh, Washington and he's all for these bills. Uh, and he's a, he's a West coast ag guy. Uh, and so, it, you know, and, but you know, for, from his perspective, I get it. Like it, it benefits his constituents. I don't think he's doing anything wrong by pushing that. Mm-hmm. I think that the and then you know you've got uh, Crapo out of Idaho. Uh, he, he's he's in dairy land, and so he's being produced by or being pushed by by dairy guys. Uh, of course, I don't think that the dairy guys even fully understand the implications of this bill. When I talk to dairymen. Uh, about this bill, they're like, "Why are my associations not telling me this?" And I and I, I tell them like, "Your associations aren't doing anything wrong. They just don't understand the actual implications because they're not immigration lawyers." Like yeah. I I read it and I'm like, "Nope, this is terrible. This whole bill is a freaking non-starter because of how bad this bill is." Uh, but they they read it and they see, "Oh, I get ten thousand visas a year." I'm like, "Yeah, you need two hundred thousand. So you're <laughs> it's not doing you any good." Yeah. Let's not lower our bar here. Yeah, exactly. I know. And it's funny because the, the, they're all so desperate for some kind of reform uh, that they it's like they want just something to get done. But this isn't – whenever you're talking about immigration reform, people need to understand. You're not getting a bite of an apple. You're getting an apple. Is it a poisoned apple or is it a good apple? You're not getting, oh, okay, well, we'll get this one. Then we'll work on something else. Nope. You will get one within the next generation. Yeah, and one chance. One chance. Don't don't sacrifice too much for it. And yeah, don't screw it up. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because there's so many factors that go into this. And I don't know when you when it comes to you got undocumented immigrants working in the United States. Just the whole conversation about all right, just bite the bullet. It, it's it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's certainly tough. You know, the the funny thing is, is like I'm not, I don't, I don't hate the idea of an amnesty bill. Uh, I, I, I just mean, how I, it's done. It's just it, how it's done. It, it matters how it's done. Yeah, because you can't. This is what happened with the SAWS program in the late '80s, early '90s. Is they offered amnesty to these guys. And they got amnesty, they left. That void was then refilled with undocumented labor. Uh, but that was because back then, that, it, but that wasn't the intention. The intention of the bill 
was, no, we're going to come down harder on you now if you employ undocumented labor. Uh, but that bill specifically said that you had to knowingly hire undocumented labor. What the government didn't realize at that point is that that is a super high burden and very difficult to prove. And yeah. so it, the real implication was that they just refilled it with undocumented labor. But if you mandate E-Verify, E-verify and you do the same thing that caused a flight from agriculture and you heighten the scrutiny on these people, they're not going to have that option again. That, that's just that's not a thing anymore. Uh, or it wouldn't be if any of these bills passed. And so you, you've got to be very, very careful thinking about the actual implications and not just what does this clause mean for me right now? It's what does this clause mean for me in 10 years? Yeah, because, I mean, if if there let's say there's there's producers out there who unknowingly have undocumented workers. And let's say we do want we want to crack down and we want to deport everyone who's an illegal immigrant. The animal welfare and supply chain implications of that are one unknown and could be just crippling. Yeah, they would be crippling. I mean, it would be. Yeah, it, would it certainly would be. You know, you have all these animals with nobody to take it. Assuming, I mean, because we, we don't know what we don't know. And I think that's the scary thing. Yes. You don't know what you don't know. And yeah. if you just say, yeah, let's say we lose 20% of our workers. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it's it, not it, good. The implications are massive. I mean, they're, it, it, and it would be, it would be catastrophic. I mean, I, and I don't think that that's being hyperbolic in any way. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it is just, yeah, no, it, it is, it's wild to me. And, but I think that the point that you made is also an, an interesting point because I think that it's easy for people to say like, well, we shouldn't have undocumented people here. So let's just deport all of them. <laughs> Don't do that. That is terrible <laughs> policy also. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of work that those guys help perform that has to get done and we don't have the people to do it. And so it, I, I think there's the, more stability from undocumented workers, in my opinion, than instability right now. Yeah. And, and if you were to rip that out, it's it's challenging. And so, like, with all of this, another thing, these immigrant workers do a great job. Yeah, They're really good because they bring and not because they're just they're harder workers, but it's because they bring passion. Yeah. They bring uh, in, in, intentionality to their work. And uh, and it's neat to see. And. I always tell people that bring up this topic, like I don't think people realize during election season, how many farmers, Republicans want reform, how many Democrats want reform. Got to figure out how to do it the right way. And I love how you talk about the poisoned apple versus good apple. Now we only get one apple. We screw it up. We can mess up a generation. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough topic. It is. It is. And yeah, you get you get one apple. Uh, and if you screw it up, you're going to cause a flight of agriculture from the United States. It's like that is some freaking high stakes. And yeah. I think that people take for granted uh, how stable our access to food really is. Like yeah. you remember during COVID when they were like, there's going to be a meat shortage for like 30 seconds. And by meat shortage, all they meant was you couldn't go get bacon. Like that yeah. was literally the whole thing. And everyone's like, no, I'm not going to be able to get bacon. I'm going to die. Like, no, no, no. You well, got- even California with the whole Prop 12 thing, like you had <laughs> people in California like, what? What's going to happen? No bacon? 
and they're freaking out over over bacon. Yes. Now that that is because bacon is is the lifeblood of Americans. I mean, oh, yeah. I I tear into bacon probably three times a day. So uh, I I was in a panic too. I'm I'm making fun of myself in this as well. Uh, but it is no, it it, it is just crazy because we take we take it for granted. And then whenever shit hits the fan, we're like, oh, these these things matter. Yeah. But if you you screw up animal agriculture in the United States and we start producing in Mexico, it's not coming back. It's not like we're going to be like, okay, well, let's just go ahead and bring it back to the United States. It's not going to be like that. That's a Pandora's box you can't close. Yeah, especially the way our our nation works. So I appreciate you coming on to talk about this. Before you hop off, I'd love for you to share a couple of things. First one being, what's something unique about you that nobody you you work with knows? Oh, something unique? Oh, man. I tell a lot of stuff about myself (laughs) to people. Uh, Man. Something unique about me. You might have to hit your childhood here. <laughs> I might. Yeah. I, yeah. Dude, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But I think that probably the most unique thing about me is how high my blood pressure gets whenever I talk about immigration reform. I don't think anyone else in here gets that worked up. Well, don't keel over on the podcast, though. <laughs> <laughs> He said, oh, you want to talk about immigration reform? I will be there. I'll be sweating, and it'll be 15 degrees, but I'll be there. Uh, yeah, I I don't know, man. That's a that's a, that's a a tough one. That is definitely a tough one. Play any sports in, in high school? I did. I played basketball. Uh, Position? I, I was a shooting guard. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was a good time. I I still love playing basketball. I haven't played in a in a while, but I recently got into golf and I have like gone all in on. Oh it. yeah. Oh, it's so it is so awesome. Such I had somebody steal my golf clubs out of my garage this summer, so that uh, that's kind of put a damper on my uh, my my game here. But so I maybe I think that the death penalty. Is in order for whoever did that to you. Oh yeah, whoever takes my golf clubs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's that's that that's that's calling for the death penalty right there. It was pr- probably some twelve-year-old kid that wanted your golf clubs, but sorry, kid, you got to make better decisions. Yeah. <laughs> so on on that uh, last question, I typically ask is, what's a golden nugget, a bit of life wisdom that you'd like to share? To always be trustworthy, even whenever you think that won't benefit you, because Mm. it will. Live your life in a way where people can trust you, uh, even if it's against your own incentives, and it'll end up working out better for you in the long run than anything you could have done in the short run. Gotcha. Well, thank you for being a guest on the Popular Pick Podcast. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we wish you the very best. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. 
To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.